How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are locked on Lakers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Lakers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. I am Anthony Irwin. I am joined by Harrison Fagan. In a second, we're going to be joined by Jared Dubin of Locked On Knicks and Vice and, and really everywhere. He's really good. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that conversation. Harrison, how, how excited? If you had to rate yourself 1 to 10 uh, as far as how excited you are about being able to talk to a guest again, where, where would you put yourself? Um... Honestly, I'd say a 12 just because I really respect Jared and because, you know, the Lakers, they got drubbed tonight. It wasn't a fun game to watch. It would be exciting to talk to someone else about something else other than that. And, you know, I'm mostly wrapped up with finals now, and I'm just like I'm feeling pretty good. So I, I, I'm excited to talk to a guest tonight. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be fun. He's, he's really good. He's really uh... – I feel, I feel like you only ask me this, though – when you're going to leave me out of the call with the guest. Mm, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's go ahead and talk about the Laker game, though. Uh, (laughs) The Lakers got, like you said, drubbed by the Sacramento Kings. The third quarter was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, And and I had people, you know, people were saying, you know, is this going to be yet another, you know, podcast about expectations and this and that and the other. I, I guess people are kind of annoyed uh, with that theme. I I watched tonight though, and honestly, it it was frustrating as all heck to watch. But I, I'm not I'm not too upset over you know the Kings catching absolute fire and the Lakers not being able to make a layup. Like sometimes these games just happen. I think that's part of it. I mean, Luke Walton himself said that he felt like it was the first game where the Lakers had quit this year. And coming from him, that actually, like, when the last coach would say that they quit every single game that they lost, it kind of lost some of its meaning. But almost every single game this year, Luke has lauded their effort, even in defeat. And he's been like, well, you know, sometimes the other team just makes shots, stuff like that. He, he's criticized them at times, but not that much. And so him saying that he felt like it was the first game where they quit felt meaningful. And again, it is their seventh loss in a row. So I think, I mean, it, it's fine to talk about expectations and all of that stuff. But this team is playing really, really badly right now, and I think that we have to acknowledge that. And I think that we can acknowledge it by saying that they're a young team, and this was always somewhat to be expected, right? That they would regress a little bit from the mean, or regress to the mean, 
from where they were playing at earlier this season. I, I just I, I think it's been a little bit more painful and a little bit harder to watch than people anticipated. But yeah, yeah, like you said, the Lakers they just got destroyed in the third quarter. You you want to know what Demarcus Cousins' net rating was in the third quarter? Infinity. Yeah, he they he they outscored the Lakers while Demarcus Cousins was on the floor in the third quarter at a rate that would account to one hundred and twenty six point six points per one hundred possessions. <laughs> he had an offensive rating of a hundred and seventy six point six. Yeah, well, the only stat that matters to me is is Demarcus Cousins getting bitch slapped by Lou Williams. That was pretty funny. It was not the funniest moment of the game. That was definitely Luke Walton getting so angry <laughs> that he started taking off his clothes. <laughs> We've all been there, Luke. We've all been there. I really wish he was wearing like a shirt underneath that said Andrew Bynum on it. <laughs> you know, like... he, hey, they were teammates. So, yeah. you know, Luke, I guess, just picked a few things up from him. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the whole Luke even getting tossed felt to me like, you know, he was just the, – the play itself felt kind of whatever, you know. It was obviously a, a well, miscall, call, but – It was like two plays in a row where Randall had gotten chucked to the ground by Cousins and like a no call. So I understand why he was mad. No, now, I'm, not, I'm, not saying, I, I'm not saying that I didn't understand him getting angry. I just yeah. – I to me it felt like, you know, he was, he was going out there and he was, he was yelling at the refs with a purpose. You know, they, the the reaction to whatever was going on there, I felt like that, you know, it was a combination of the Lakers had lost six games in a row. The refs weren't very good. DeMarcus Cousins is frustrating as all heck to coach against, I would imagine, because he's so effing good. Uh, and to coach because he's... <laughs> yeah, also, also true. Uh, Jen, this was the first time that Jen had actually really watched a game with DeMarcus Cousins playing in it and really paid attention to what he was doing out there. And there was a play tonight where he, you know, he, there was a foul called and then he kept playing and he tried to dunk it, right? You know which one I'm talking about? And he almost brought the basket down. And, and Jen, literally, this was a, this is a, a completely, this reaction happened completely beyond her control. It sounded like she, she, she was like, oh, my God, the poor rim. <laughs> he, no, there was a dribble drive in today's game, and this is great radio where we just explain plays that happen in a game. Yeah. Where DeMarcus, he drove to the basket and shouldered Timofey Mozgov like five feet back. Yeah. Timofey Mozgov is gigantic. That's a, that's a 600-pound that... collision there. Yeah. So, anywho, that was uh, um, the, the the I think Luke Walton getting thrown out today was was indicative of a, of a coach whose team is struggling for the first time really all season. It's set, you know now a seven game loss uh, losing streak for Luke. It's the first time that he's been at the helm of such a of, of such a streak like the Lakers are on right now. So I would imagine it's probably pretty frustrating for him. And the team just flat out hasn't been playing very good. The the like you said, the the defense hasn't been good. They are playing kind of selfishly right now. There's plenty to point out when you when you're looking at the Lakers and saying, yeah, X, Y, and Z need to turn around if the Lakers want to actually you know get back on the winning side of things. Um, and they kind of sort of need to happen as quickly as possible as well because. These kids, remember earlier in the year, we said that it was important for the team to win so that these guys would, you know, learn the subconscious lesson lesson of if you play the right way, you get rewarded with wins. 
And yeah. I think right now they're they're all pushing because they obviously all want to win, and uh, it's it's manifested in sel- itself into selfish play. Uh, and and you know instead of getting rewarded with good play with wins, the Lakers are getting punished with these losses. And and you know you're really starting to see it kind of dawn on these guys' faces of like God another one you know, uh, and that's why you know the wins obviously it's always nice to win. And if the Lakers want to continue to contend for the playoffs, they'll obviously need to win. But for me, the bigger thing is these young kids need success in the NBA. Uh, just to just to be able, be able to understand, like this is what it's going to take to be successful in the NBA, and continue to build those those habits in the right direction. A hundred percent agreed. Now, before we go to Jared, let's talk really quickly. Do you have one positive that you can come up with from the last two games? Because the Lakers have just gotten killed. Is there are, are there any silver linings that you've seen? Uh, well, Luol Deng has played better. He hasn't. Luol been a, Deng is alive. Yeah, it's it's been nice to it's been nice to see. You know, he shot the ball. I think he made what five of eight from three point or no? What was it last game? Uh, I think it was five. I, it actually might have been five of eight from three point range uh, last game, and then last night. By the time everybody's listening to this, last night he made another couple threes. He went two of three from three against the Kings, mm-hmm. and seven of eleven overall. Yeah, so that that's pretty good. That's about what the Lakers were hoping they would get from him. That'll win you a Slurpee. I don't. Oh, that was terrible. Come <laughs> on, man. Yeah, well, I, I think. No, but, I guess I'd say the other good news is, uh, other than you know Dang's uh, resuscitation, is Russell coming back in the lineup and looking a little healthier tonight, even though he was on a minutes restriction. He, I, I want people to recognize this, and and with as many good young players as there are in the NBA, it's probably it's probably pretty easy to kind of fall through the cracks. He's really good. He's really he he is really good. He's not some bust that we should be consider uh, that we should be lambasting the Lakers front office for taking over Kristaps Porzingis. Like yeah. we we don't know right now. It looks like Porzingis Porzingis is the better player right now, and right now it looks like he most likely will end up as the better player. But I don't think that there's any guarantee there by any means. No, I I actually would. I I kind of like D'Angelo Russell's. Uh, where his I really like his game. Him. I think there's a cha- I think there's a chance he ends up surpassing Kristaps. And we're gonna sound like homers for saying that, but we also watch him a lot more than we watch uh, than other people do necessarily. Right, right. So I don't. I when it, when you watch him play, and when I've watched him play over the last couple games, he just has a handle on on the offense that. Jose Calderon just doesn't have at this stage of his career. Marcelo Huertas definitely doesn't have it. It's nice to have that kind of rudder uh, for the Lakers again when when D'Angelo Russell is back out there with the starters. It's just too bad it hasn't shown itself in in getting back into the win column so yeah yeah and their next two games against the Sixers and Nets are pretty winnable so they they may break this streak uh, coming up here soon yeah I I would hope so now, if you want to guess whether or not the Lakers can can end this losing streak, there's no better place to earn some money for your troubles than Bet DSI. Anthony, what is your favorite thing about Bet DSI? For me, it's the customer service. Uh, we we talked about we've talked about on previous shows that you know that time I just I jumped in the chat and I was we were trying to find a bet and we couldn't find it. It took five seconds to get a response and we found the bet within 
you know, 20 seconds and it was, it was great. They, they were, you know, really nice about it. And then the other thing is the security of the site. It doesn't feel sometimes with these, these sites, it's something as simple as even how the, how the website looks, right? Sometimes you, you hop on a, uh, a gambling site and it's kind of, you know, it's black. Uh, everything seems kind of dark. It seemed that the, the, uh, the effects on the site, how it moves and everything feel kind of cheap. Bet DSI feels really good, feels really secure, and it has a nice look to it. So you feel, you know, you don't feel shady as you're as you're putting together a a wager on there. What's your favorite aspect of it? I mean, I think it's just it's kind of like you mentioned the security. They've been in the business for 20 years. That it's safe. I've played there, and you know, my my credit card was totally fine. And I, I think that it's also kind of cool that you can wager on other random stuff, even even outside of sports. Like I remember that they had odds on the election, and they always have all kinds of weird, kind of fun prop bets that you can that you can bet on pretty much pretty much anything you could think of i would imagine and the other thing that i like and that we've talked about before is i like free money and bet dsi is willing to give you free money they will give you ten dollars free to try their service all you have to do is put in the code lakers 10 and they're also if you deposit money they're giving you an 100 percent bonus on your first deposit so that's a lot of free cash that Locked On Lakers is just kind of throwing at you guys. That maybe that'll make you feel a little bit better about the how the Lakers are playing right now. Yep. And again, use the promo code Lakers ten to get those uh, ten free bucks. And and yeah, go out there and start winning today. Uh, all right. So let's go ahead and move on and uh, bring Jared onto the show. Really looking forward to this conversation. I'm really looking forward to hearing you uh, talk to another human being who is not myself. Uh, that's always going to be fun, and 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 yeah, we'll we'll come back on the other side of the conversation and wrap up the show. Again, today's show is brought to you by BetDSI.com. Uh, we talked to you about the promo code. You can find our shows on Audio Boom, iTunes, Silver Screen and Roll, TuneIn, Stitcher, and today's Fast Break. And uh, yeah, enjoy the conversation with Jared. It's going to be a good. You're one. you're cutting me off again, aren't you? Uh, no, I'm, you ready? Let's let's call him right now. Let's go ahead and call him right now. Okay, let's do it. Hey, how's it going, man? <laughs> I'm I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. The the Lakers are are on this annoying losing streak, and people are in my mentions trading and firing everybody. Uh, this is only six games away from a unexpectedly great start, but somehow people don't handle success really well in Los Angeles. And I'm shocked because the Knicks are on a an unexpectedly annoying winning streak, and people are in everybody's mentions <laughs> talking about how they're going to go to the East Finals. No, um. It's it's interesting though, guys. I did a podcast uh, with Tim Bontemps last week, and at the time, the Knicks and Lakers had basically the same record and basically the same point differential. And we were talking about how you know people probably felt better about the Lakers at the time because they did a better job of managing expectations coming into the season. And now you know the two teams' fortunes have obviously diverged since then. Mm-hmm. Now, the Knicks are four games over five hundred. They woke up today tied for a share of third place in the East, unbelievably. Um, and the Lakers, I think they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games, now six games under. But, I mean, I feel like they've already sort of exceeded my expectations for this year just by not being horrible. The thing for me was when the season started, I didn't think the team was going to be very good. Like, I pegged them at about 
27 to 30-ish wins. That's that's kind of what I, I set my expectations for. And then whatever they do after that, you're playing with house money. But the bigger thing for me was just be fun to watch. Like over the last over the last couple of years, you know, with with Byron standing over there, over there on the sideline and Kobe hoisting thirty times a night, it just wasn't fun basketball to watch. So you feel like you're just kind of doing homework, you know, <laughs> you know, when you're supposed to be watching an entertaining game and it's, it's it's a game that everybody loves. And and this year is the first year, even when they're losing, like that was a fun game last night between the Knicks and the Lakers. And yeah, even even definitely. During, yeah, like even you know during this during this losing streak, and again it's annoying. You know, losing stinks, and it and it kind of sucks to get back to the point where you care about wins and losses. Over the last couple of years, you kind of we rooted for for losing so that the Lakers would get a good pick. It, it's you know it's tough now getting back into the habit of the kicks and the groin that losses can be. But at the end of the day, it's it's a fun team to watch, and and like as a Knicks fan, I feel like you're in the same spot where. I think you're kind of playing with house money at this point, right? I didn't think the Knicks would be what they are right now, and, and they're fun to watch. Yeah, it's it's somewhat similar, and I'll address the question you tacked on the end there in a second because I don't want to forget this. Coincidentally, mm-hmm. one of the last things I wrote, I think maybe the last thing I wrote before the start of the NBA season was called, Are the Lakers Finally Worth Watching for Vice Sports? Uh-huh. And all about how even though the Lakers will probably be bad, they will definitely be fun to watch this year. And yeah. I think that that's basically exactly how it's turned out, um, you know, especially over these last 10 games or so. Like, yeah, they're probably pretty bad again. They still can't play any defense. Um, the, the kids are learning, though, and Luke Walton has them playing well and playing together for the most part, and they're fun. And that's all I wanted from the Lakers this year as, like, a, a casually interested observer. You know, I wanted these guys to take steps forward, and I wanted them to be fun to watch. And for me, that's what I've gotten out of it. I'm sure fans, especially when they started the season so well, they got you know a little bit ahead of themselves and like we're going to make the playoffs. Um, you can't really do that if you can't stop anybody, which you know was the Lakers' problem last night against the Knicks, which I'm sure we'll talk about also. <laughs> um, but you know, as far as the Knicks goes, like I would say that they have exceeded my expectations so far. But I wasn't quite as low on them as some other people and not quite as high as them on some other people. Um, basically, that a lot of people split themselves into two camps about the Knicks before the start of the season. There was the, they're going to push for 50 wins. They're the second best team in the East. Oh, my God, we got Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah camp. And then there was the, we got Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah. These guys can't do anything anymore. <laughs> we'll be lucky if they play eight games combined. This is a disaster. The Knicks are going to win 25 games camp. And I was in the, you know, the probably like 2% of people saying the Knicks got Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah. They got Brandon Jennings. They got a bunch of guys who um, have been only varyingly effective for a few years and are in and out of the lineup all the time. Some of these bets are going to work. Some of them are not. And depending on where each of them comes down, they could win anywhere from like 30 to 45 games, probably somewhere in the high 30s, low 40s. And it sort of looks like that's kind of the team that they are. Like, Rose looks to have hit so far. Noah looks to have not hit so far. Jennings looks like it hit um, in in a certain sense. Like, he is moving the ball very well. He still can't shoot at all. But um, he's doing, I think, what they want him to do. Some of the other guys have hit. But then, like, Lance Thomas's contract doesn't look great so far. Uh, Carmelo hasn't shot well. But Porzingis has been great. Um, so, it's again, it's like... 
they made so many of these either or bets, and a lot of them have come down on one side, a lot of them have come down on another. And I think that so far, more of them have hit than have not, and that's why they're four games over 500, as opposed to, you know, they could be four games under if somebody had gotten hurt. Yeah, like I, I look at the Knicks, and the theme for both the Knicks and the Lakers season so far has been sustainability, in my opinion. You know, where when the Lakers were, were doing what they were doing at the beginning of the year, and there were this feel-good story. There were there were a couple blemishes there that people just kind of ignored, like, hey, the defense still isn't that good. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're also playing a bunch of rookies, and the rookies and early young guys are just, they're far and away the team's best players because the Waldang has not been very good, and Timothy Moskov has been solid, but, you know, he's not something that the Lakers or any Laker fans are going to write home about. And, you know, when I look at the Knicks as well, I look at, you know, is Derrick Rose's health sustainable? Is Joe Kim Noah's health sustainable? Is whatever system is going on over there, is that kind of sustainable? Is the success, <laughs> yeah, is is this going to work long term? Uh, but even in that, even in even in asking that question, it kind of gets away from the purpose of being a fan. It's, I mean, and I and I know you know I, we aren't supposed to you know necessarily be fans or whatever. But if if you're a fan, why ask the question question about sustainability? Just enjoy that you know enjoy the success so far. And if those questions arise down the road, fine, you deal with them at that time. But what I think the Lakers and the Knicks have kind of taught their fans this year again is just enjoy the good times while they're happening because you don't necessarily know how long they're going to be around. Like I look at the the Grizzlies fans, for example, and they've had this grit and grind era, and I think they've made a Western Conference Finals once, and they haven't been in the finals at all. But by no stretch would those fans say, nah, this hasn't been that great. I mean, the entire city has just found itself relating to this group of guys and it's been a great run for those teams and if i'm a laker fan if i'm a knicks fan i'm saying you know what i'm i'm perfectly fine just relating to this team and seeing where they take me this season has has kind of retrained me to be a fan and not look at not look at whatever might or might not be sustainable i don't know it seems kind of high horsey of me to say that but but that's that's really what i've 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 enjoyed this year about both franchises they just kind of they're just fun they go out there they play and if they win great if they lose whatever but but both teams are just kind of uh they're they're showing fans what it's like to just be fans again yeah, I think, you know, part of that is like, you know, the overriding feeling of watching them, both teams for the last few years has been like the games were not enjoyable. Like last year, yeah. the Lakers were a circus. Like that was that was not a real thing. Like I I watched it for the craziness and for the circus sometimes, but like that was not a basketball team last year. Like I don't, I don't know what the hell they turned into. But I can't imagine that that was enjoyable on any level other than, like, it's fun that I get to say goodbye to Kobe, for, for e- even for Laker fans. Like, I can't see how last year would have been enjoyable for anyone. And that's been the reality for the Knicks for most of the last, I don't know, 15 years. Like, there's been maybe one or two fun seasons. Like, this team is fun. Like, they, they play faster than the Knicks have in a while. They move the ball on certain nights pretty well uh porzingis is breaking out new tricks like every few days rose on certain nights like especially like last night there are nights where it seems like he can just sort of get wherever he wants on the court you know you have mellow occasionally doing his mellow thing where he just cooks and cooks and cooks 
and you actually just can't stop him. Um, the bench guys, for the most part, are young and long and athletic and fun. And Jennings, when he has the ball, gets them moving so fast. <laughs> like it's it's an enjoyable style of basketball. Yep. And when you're coming off, you know the Mike Woodson and Derek Fisher and Kurt Rambis, like it's a pretty big change of pace. Like especially because they were not very good for the time when they had Mike D'Antoni and they were playing like an enjoyable brand of basketball in terms of, you know, the style of play, they, they were mostly not a very good team. You know, there was that stretch at the start of the 2010-11 season after they got Amari and it was, you know, Felton and Chandler and and Amari and Mozgov and Gallinari and Landry Fields and Shumpert. Um, that was pretty fun. But, you know, quickly it became sort of a tug-of-war over the team between D'Antoni and Mello, and then it was Mike Woodson, and then, it, like, there was that burst of insanity, and there was, you know, the beginning of the um, the the 2012-13 season where they were incredible, and then the end of the 2012-13 season until they met the Pacers in the playoffs. Other than that, there has not been much fun Knicks basketball in a long time. And it's, like, I would imagine that, like, for me it's enjoyable, like, as as a fan, as a writer, as someone who just likes watching good basketball or like aesthetically pleasing basketball. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, the Knicks, there's a lot of times when they can't get stops and there's a lot of times where stuff devolves into, you know, Rose going one-on-one or Carmelo going one-on-one. But for a lot of time, it's actually like you can turn your eyes towards the game, which is great. So the, the Knicks, so they're in this interesting spot and the Knicks and the Lakers are going to be tied just automatically because of the Phil Jackson thing. Mm-hmm. And just today, uh, Kevin Ding wrote an article, you know, basically praising Phil for for the Porzingis pick. Uh, there's it's there's this really annoying rumor that keeps on going around um, from writers out here who want Phil Jackson back in L.A. That you know, oh, it's only a matter of time. Uh, this front office, you know, they said they they're on this timeline, but that timeline isn't going to actually work out as as originally thought. So. What's it? I, I guess, asked plainly, what's it like to root for a Phil Jackson team at this stage in his career? Because I, I don't know if I, I think Laker fans out here have this idea of Phil Jackson as this genius, this guru who brought five titles to Los Angeles. But I, I don't know if they necessarily recognize everything that actually goes into that equation with Phil. I will say that. You know, for the most part, it's really weird because Phil Jackson has been a guy that's like the Knicks have sort of throughout their history had like a savior complex more than basically any other team Mm -hmm. where it's always about the one guy that they're going to go get that's going to save the Knicks and turn them back into a powerhouse. And for the most part, it never happens. Um, And they have chased Phil Jackson as that savior more times than I can count in the past. Like I remember in the run up to them actually hiring him, there were all sorts of rumors for probably like close to two years about them bringing back Phil for the most part as a coach. Um, so much so that I, I think me and Jason Concepcion wrote about it twice at Grantland trading emails, like once like talking about how it was never going to happen. And once after it actually did. Um, so it's, it's, it's very strange that it actually wound up happening. Of course it wound up happening as an executive and not as a coach which, like, even when the Knicks get what they want, it's, like, years after the guy was 
the best <laughs> at the thing he was the best at. Yeah. And now he's doing something else. Like that's that's typical Knicks, first of all. <laughs> um, and then you know, since he's been in New York, it's much like basically everything else with the Knicks. People are sort of divided into two camps. There's one camp that's like, that's Phil Jackson. He's won 11 rings. He knows everything. You know nothing. And you're not allowed to criticize anything he does, says, thinks, whatever, ever. Hashtag rings. Right. <laughs> and, and then there's another camp that says, you know, he's a novice executive. And those 11 rings as a coach happened. The two as a player happened also. But they're not relevant to the job that he's doing now. And he's stuck in the past. And all he cares about is the triangle. And he says weird stuff all the time. And he poking Carmelo and LeBron for no reason and what the hell is he doing and he's a disaster and he's got to leave like there's never a middle ground (laughs) with anybody that sounds about about right and that is exactly what has happened with Phil so the the whole the whole you know the the LeBron comments the posse comments and then the the ego stuff with with Melo right that was kind of what it was where yeah and I'm I'm watching that take place. So this is one thing that Phil has cr- kind of trained us out here to to think, or at least you know, there's something always going on underneath the surface. So when he makes those comments about LeBron, you start asking, all right, why would he make that? Why would I, you know, if I'm going to read between the lines, because he knows, uh, he knows that people are paying attention to him. He knows the comments that he makes are going to be taken a certain way. Especially after LeBron, you know, points out whatever was going on underneath the surface. What do you think? What do you think was the underlying factor? What? How did you read between the lines with Phil's comments about Melo, about Phil's comments about LeBron? Um, sort of a combination of things. Like part of it, I think, was like he didn't realize how it was going to be taken. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's a seventy-plus year old man used to talking a certain way and things are different now and because he's used to doing this thing where he calls people out or tries to motivate them in the media and he's used to doing that a as a coach and b in like the early thousands and the 90s and not necessarily in the world we live in now like where tweets are news and snippets of interviews get turned into the biggest thing ever and you know it's it's just a different climate and trying to tweak people as a subtle message becomes extremely unsubtle once it gets thrown out there you know it's it's so it's like uh i'm not necessarily sure i even ascribe one of phil's famous secret motives to anything it just sort of seems like something that he did an interview, he said some stuff, and it snowballed because he didn't he wasn't careful enough about what he was saying. Yeah, I, I that's kind of what I kinda of come back to too. I, I think it used to be because you know, Phil is he is extremely, I would say, charismatic, right? I, I think that kind of goes without saying. You you don't get to you don't get to to have the power he has with a franchise like the Knicks or the success that he had in getting people to buy into the triangle the way he has without being charismatic, without being able to send the message that you want to send. So I think there are people, 
in the media who who have just kind of you know ascribed to hey this is Phil Jackson if he says something I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there and I know that there's something else going on underneath the surface and I I do think it is <laughs> really realistic and a really innocent reading of the situation with whatever's going on when he says these things about about uh, Carmelo Anthony and about LeBron is just Hey man, I didn't think it was going to go as far as it would. <laughs> I, right. I, I think if he were if he were to give an honest interview at this point, he'd say like, honestly, I said that stuff and it got legs, and you know, I I think he'd like to move on. But um, he also incapable of doing something like that. Yes. Of actually giving an interview and just being like, hey, I messed up, and I didn't think it was going to be like this. I I should watch my words more carefully when I talk about this kind of stuff. That, that does not seem like something Phil Jackson would ever do. Nope. And when he was basically given the opportunity to do that in a subsequent interview, he didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's Phil. I mean, I, I would imagine at this point his ego, like he talks about Carmelo's ego. <laughs> I don't know if there's a bigger ego in the NBA than Phil Jackson's. No, I would say probably not. I, so <laughs> <laughs> That was the irony in, in, in all that was going on there. You're just kind of looking at this guy like, Phil... <laughs> Here's a mirror. And look, in, cer- in certain ways, it's justifiable. Like, why shouldn't the guy have a big ego? He's had success everywhere he's gone in basketball, um, but not at doing this and not, like, ego. All right, let, let's, let's move to something else. Um, <laughs> All right, so, so well, I, I was going to ask, the – so we before we went on the air, we were talking about this the you know the Porzingis, the Russell, you know the right. Towns draft, and just uh, just a couple shows ago, I talked to somebody who's a Suns fan, um, Scott Chase, and we, we we talked about the Devin Booker, D'Angelo Russell relationship, and I see a similar kind of thing building with Porzingis and Carl Anthony Towns, right? That they they have this you know this friendly yep. rivalry or whatever's going on there. Right, they text a lot. They're the, like they're they're buddies. Yeah, know? and and so it's a it's a it's it's a millennial construct, I would imagine. But I would also say that I I guess try to try to put into perspective how good this draft might be, uh, with you know especially at the very top, you know, other than maybe Jalil Okafor, who's you know we don't know where his career is necessarily going to go. But Towns looks like he's going to be. You said you. Do, I, I would agree too that you said that you know you could see him being a Hall of Famer. Porzingis has has taken New York by storm. D'Angelo Russell has done the same when he's playing well out here in Los Angeles. It's you know the city starts buzzing a bit. This draft is special. Yeah, I mean, look. So you think about great drafts like since I've been alive. You know, I'm I'm 29. I was born in '87. The great drafts since I've been alive, like the, the, the two classes I think that everybody talks about are 96 with, you know, Iverson and Camby and Ray Allen and Marbury and Kobe and Steve Nash and uh, Zadruno Sogauskas and uh, Jermaine O'Neal maybe might have been in that draft or maybe was in the subsequent draft. But either way, like that draft is like the gold standard for drafts ever. And mm-hmm. then obviously there's 03 where it's really just like it's the four guys at the top with LeBron, Bosch, Wade, and Carmelo, but those guys are so good that it elevates it over all of these other classes. You look at this draft, and I mean, it has, I think, sort of the qualities of both, where it looks incredibly deep, and it has potential like all-time stars 
at the top as well. Absolutely. You know, just just looking at the draft in front of me, I mean, you know, Towns, Porzingis, Russell, um, you know, Winslow, Turner, Trey Lyles, Booker, uh, Sam Decker looks really good in what's essentially his rookie year. Guys like uh, Larry Nance is a contributor. Uh, Montrez Harrell's a contributor. Hernan Gomez was that draft too, contributing for the Knicks. Um, you know, Terry Rozier is a rotation player already. Justin Anderson's a rotation player in Dallas. Like Bobby Portis, Tyus Jones. Like it's insane. You know, like <laughs> that's insane. Uh, what's his name? Harrison, who's uh, who's now in Memphis. Uh, Powell, Rashawn Holmes is a rotation player. Josh Richardson, second rounder for the Heat. Like there are so many guys that are already contributors, and there are you know these high high level guys that look like they're going to be, you know, pillars for franchises for a long time. And and two of them on, you know, two of the, you know, five or six marquee franchises in the league in Chris Apps and Russell, which is, you know, it's it's hard to ask for more out of a draft than that. Yeah, the 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 other thing that I find interesting is how close all these guys seem. Like you and I, you know, I already talked about the the Chris Apps Cats relationship and and Russell and and Booker's relationship. That to me is exciting because it's going to make these guys all the more competitive, and and I would imagine it's going to drive these guys to uh, to to be as successful as they possibly can be because they know other guys from that draft are watching. I I do kind of it, it's a bit I I wouldn't say uh, annoying or whatever, but I I would say. There's this hindsight thing going on with Chris Tapps that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we listened to Stephen A. Smith say that the Knicks were Knicks fans are bamboozled. Uh, we 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 hoodwinked, bamboozled. <laughs> exactly. <Don't have> <laughs> exactly. We, one you, of you're the looking... great, like first of all, rest in peace, Vine. One of the great vines in the history of Vine. That Stephen A. Loop. It's oh incredible. My God. That that one in the weed. Is is about as good as his video is gonna get. <laughs> uh, oh but, my god! But but the uh, the how how did you feel when the when the Knicks were you know when they drafted Chris Porzingis, and how how has it been being able to watch that career go forward the way it has, where he's going to be a perennial All Star and it's only a matter of time. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I would say it's probably gonna start this year. Like it's it's pretty tough to argue that he shouldn't be an All Star. Like. I think it's pretty definitive that he should based on performance so far. Um, you know, as far as how I felt at the time, um, what I do every year that the Knicks actually have their draft pick, which is one out of every like 25 years, <laughs> um, is I make a list on my phone of guys I like and guys I don't. Um, you know, because there was so many rumors about trades for the Knicks, I also made a list last year of trades I like and trades I don't. Um, you know, so the list of guys I liked at number four, um, I basically, I assumed that Towns and Okafor were both going to be gone and then took it from there. And the guys on my list were Russell, Winslow, Cauley-Stein, Hazonia, Moutier, and Porzingis. And then the guys I don't list was anybody else. I was like, take one of those six guys at number four um, and I'll be fine with it. And that's what happened. And I was fine with it. You know, I, I did wind up getting in like a, a Twitter thing that night by basically saying like this is okay even if he's not ready because you know he's a 19 year old he has an extremely rare skill set 
And even if he doesn't play a lot right away, like that's fine. And people sort of attacked me for being like on board with the concept of patience, um, which was a strange <laughs> feeling at the time. Um, it turned out we didn't need to worry about it because he was ready right away and he started from day one and he was awesome from day one. Um, and that experience of watching him be, you know, exceed any reasonable expectations that anybody could have possibly had has been awesome. Like it's, it's, it's hard to find a word other than that. And, you know, I do think you're definitely right. There has been a bit of hindsight going on. Like there were a couple people before the draft, um, Flip Saunders among them, that said that Porzingis could wind up being the best player in the draft eventually. Most people sort of laughed at that and yeah. were like, oh, crazy old Flip, what is he talking about? There was not really anybody that was like, Porzingis over Russell, that's the choice. If you go the way the other way, you're doing it wrong. Like the debate was the top three guys, and really it was just Towns is one, and then what should the Lakers do at two? Should they take Russell or Okafor? Yeah. Um, there was there was not really uh, a groundswell of they should take Porzingis. Yeah, it's kind of interesting now because, you know, like the, the, the Ding article that came out today, Kevin Ding wrote the article about Phil Jackson, and he's kind of patting Phil Jackson on the back for taking Porzingis. Uh, which I, I would I would say you know it took a, a some stones I guess to take somebody yeah. you know in, in given the collection of talent that was that was going on at the time, but I don't necessarily know. It's kind of I, I should be better at this, seeing as it's my job, so I should be able to put this into words. But the 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 Porzingis kind of relationship with New York has been pretty one sidedly great, you know, since he got there. But right when mm -hmm. he was taken. It, it, there was this weird. Um, I, if you talk about the sound like this... in Barclays, it's yeah. called booing. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I gotta address this because it's like it's it's basically in like every story that gets written about him. Like he turned boos into cheers. He was booed on draft night. Every Knicks draft pick since Patrick Ewing, except for Mark Jackson and Andy Routens has been booed. And the only reason those two guys weren't booed is because they went to New York colleges. <laughs> Everybody else has been booed. Like, let's not make this a big thing that he was booed on draft night. Like, it wasn't it wasn't a big thing. Everybody gets booed by Knicks fans. That's just the way it is. Just like everybody gets booed, like, when the in NFL Philly. draft was in New York, yeah. everybody got booed by Jets fans. Like, yeah. that's just the way it works. Yeah, I would, I would agree. So the the relationship with the Knicks is kind of interesting now because it's been Melo's team for a, a long time, and and it, the lack of nuance in this argument is is usually pretty astounding. Oh yeah, but but the you know how are the Knicks or how have you noticed that relationship kind of evolve? Where Porzingis, I I think is I don't think he's necessarily a better player right now than Melo is. They're just good at different things, but you know where this is kind of heading with those two guys, how has Mello handled that? How has the, the Knicks handled the, you know, the, the evolution of, of that roster so far? I think they've mostly handled it by denying the fact <laughs> that uh, like climate a, a change. problem <laughs> does or could potentially exist. Um, and it, it helps that Mello and KP have a really good relationship and like get along really well on and off the court and each know how they benefit from the other on the court, mm -hmm. which I think is really important. And to Chris Stapps' credit, 
he talks about that all the time. He's like, I could not do what I'm doing if defenses weren't so worried about Melo all the time. Like yeah. That's one of the big points that he hits all the time when people talk about it being potentially his team. And Carmelo, you know, to his credit also, like he has taken Chris Epps under his wing in a, in a certain sense. And he has also been willing to do things to help Chris Epps on the floor that he hasn't necessarily been willing to do for, for other guys that have come in. Like if you see, I asked him about it last year, about like the way he sets much more solid screens for Chris Epps than he did, you know, for other guys. And he was like, yeah, I do. Like, because I know if he gets open, like that's about as dangerous of a play as we could have. And I know the gravity that, you know, me setting a good screen carries because they're going to have to pay attention to me. And once they do and he gets the ball, it's over, you know, like that, that kind of thing is, is definitely noticeable. And you saw last year, like, I, I believe he threw more passes to Kristaps than he did to anybody else. Kristaps uh, didn't shoot well off of those passes last year, but the fact that Melo trusted him, even though that was the case was really positive. Um, you know, I don't think anybody would really deny that Kristaps has been better than Carmelo this year. Does that mean that he is, you know, their best player and the foundation of the franchise? Like, maybe, maybe not. I also think it's not necessarily relevant because they help each other, and and that's that's good. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's helped them get to where they are. I actually like the lineups when Porzingis is at the five and Melo's there at the four. Like that's yeah, that's that's uh, everybody's favorite groups around here. Yeah, and and it's so funny because actually somebody asked an interesting question the other day or no today that like if if LeBron was a rookie in 2016 would he be pushed to be a power forward or would he be pushed to be a a, a small forward the way he has over his entire career? And I'm I'm watching. I think he would be pushed to be a point guard. Giannis style yeah I would I would actually probably agree and then I'm watching you know what's going on with Chris Tapps and he's perfect for the positionless basketball you know era that it looks like we're heading towards where I guess by definition you would have him playing at the five uh but he handles the ball so well and and he's so good uh and so long defensively that you just kind of say like honestly it doesn't even matter what position he's playing so long as he's just on the court <laughs> just yeah make it that, that ball handling and the ability to work um you know to find his own shot off the dribble has been definitely the biggest jump in his game this year mm-hmm. and i think that applies to julius randall too yeah to me i i'm I'm surprised at how good he's gotten at being able to create from the perimeter. Cause if, you know, if you look at him, he basically looks like an undersized center with like a bulldog, small forward type skill set. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been interesting to watch the kind of player that he's turned into because he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that should fit the way basketball is played now but he's done a really good job figuring out how to work within that anyway. And then, and that's been really interesting to me to watch this year. He, the big thing he more than anybody else in the Lakers has benefited from Luke Walton's system. Uh, he Walton has done this thing where, cause he's still, and, and I've made this point a couple times on the show, but Randall still isn't very good at the quick decision, you know, just knowing, you know, reading the court before the ball comes to him and then just making the immediate, you know, ball rotation kind of pass. He still isn't very good at that. But what Walton has done is he's just kind of 
taken Randall out of those situations as much as humanly possible. And it's and it's been great. You know, you kind of watch Randall play out there, and when he's given time and when he can actually read the defense and he's in those isolation moments, he pretty rarely makes a, a bad decision. And, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of funny – as as the Knicks and Lakers are going to evolve and as they move forward, you know, on this timeline that both franchises, you know, looks like they're going to be on, uh, don't be surprised if you're watching Julius Randle and Kristaps Porzingis somehow matched up at five spots <laughs> over the next couple of years. It's insane. Yeah, and look, he's not going to protect the rim well no. when he's at that spot, but he should be able to take pretty much any center off the dribble. Um, for, especially from the perimeter. Like you get it to him above the elbow or above the nail, and he gets that little jab step. And whether he want like, a lot of times he'll go right and then spin back to the left. You know he's going left at some point. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but he can get him going left initially, too. And when he does that, he's just by you. Yeah. And I, th- I think he's been really good passing on the move, too. Like one of the things I said last year when they were in their circus season was like they should do – nothing else more than they run Russell Randall pick and rolls. They should just run it over and over and over and over until they force Randall to become like Draymond light as a lefty. Yeah. Obviously it's not quite at that level, but I think that they have done a really good job of forcing that action to make sure it becomes something that he's, comfortable with and and even if it doesn't end in a jumper or a quick dump off or a quick um you know pass to the perimeter even if it just winds up like he rolls a little bit and then gets one of his quick isos which is something you see a lot um it's important for them that they get comfortable working that and that he gets comfortable working that in particular yeah the 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 Russell and Randall dynamic is kind of fun because they're so opposite in terms of personality where you know Russell in his moments he'll he'll be pretty bombastic he'll be pretty out there you know he's the guy who points to his arm and says he has ice in his veins like he's still that guy but uh in in actual interviews and stuff he's actually pretty laid back and I watch Julius Randall and he is just he is always 100% no back down whatsoever I mean, he got in DeMarcus Cousins' face. Like he, That's dangerous, too. Like, <laughs> like he got, you know, Cousins Cousins kind of stared him down. And this was a couple nights after getting in Tyson Chandler's face. And what's kind of cool, you 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 know, we talked about the Chris Porzingis mello relationship and how it's kind of pushing forward the Knicks. The Lakers are in that same spot where, you know, in terms of talent, I guess then the Lakers should technically be D'Angelo Russell's team, but they've really like Julius Randle has embodied this no back down. We're always in these games, no matter how you know ugly it might get. We're just we're just going to take on whoever we have to take on. That's been Randle. Like he's he's been their vocal leader uh, from that standpoint. And again, that's why I get kind of frustrated when when people say it's so and so's team because it's like. No, it's never just one guy's team. You, right. the, the best teams take on multiple aspects of everybody's uh, everybody's personality. Look uh, at the uh, look at the best team in the league. Yeah, the Warriors. Absolutely. Even before this year, like Steph was their best player. You look at them; they were led on the court by Draymond and fed off Draymond. 
Yeah. Like, that was the way it worked. And, like, it, just because a guy is the best player, and this has been something with Melo throughout his career, where he's been the best player on basically every team he's been on throughout his entire career, but he's never necessarily been the guy that's going to be like, you know, I'm going to rally the troops and I'm the emotional leader and the talking leader. Like, he has openly admitted that that's not been his thing. He's taken on more of it over the last couple of years, but it's not something that felt natural to him. And it's it was good when he had other guys to do that. And if, you know, say things progress as it looks for the Lakers, like even if Russell is the best player, like it's fine if Randall's like the guy that drives them or somebody else like like Clarkson or Nance or somebody else is the guy that drives them. Like or if Luke Walton is the guy that drives them. Like who knows? It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's the big thing is the Lakers right now, and and Luke has done this on purpose, where it's not anyone, you know, heading into the year, everybody thought that D'Angelo Russell was going to be, you know, like the Lakers version of Steph Curry, and he was going to hit his bumps on the road as he, you know, tries to handle that responsibility, but that was eventually where it was going, and Walton has kind of turned that on its head and said no actually anytime you know all of our five-man lineups are going to feature multiple ball handlers and that's way harder to guard and as frustrating as that's been for Laker fans to you know to not look at the counting stats with D'Angelo Russell and get blown away by them like we said earlier in the podcast to bring this full circle the basketball has been really fun to watch and I don't know if the basketball would have been as fun to watch if D'Angelo Russell was that guy who just dominated the ball at all times. The Knicks are the same kind of way, where you kind of think, we have Carmelo, you want the ball in his hands as much as possible, but having Melo and Rose and Porzingis all be able to challenge defenses off of the dribble makes them more dynamic and a lot more fun to watch. You know, I think that's kind of the theme of the, that this show is kind of taken on. There's just both teams are fun to watch, and... uh both coaches deserve credit for finding that out. Yeah, and I think especially um, something else that's worked in both teams' favors, I think, is that their top guys have, if not necessarily perfectly complementary skill sets, there is at least one of the top guys on each team that helps the other guys do what they do best. Like, Derek Rose would not be having this good of a season if he did not have a big guy like Chris Stapps on his team, I don't Absolutely. think like uh-huh. the fact that he's out there um, drawing attention and knocking down shots, it opens up the paint so much. Like it's, it's such a cliche to hear like the floor stretching big man. It works. Like look at how free Rose and, and, and Brandon Jennings are to get into the paint basically at will all the time. Like bo- for both of them, that's, you know, one of, if not their best skills, but there's a reason Rose, when he got into the paint, was shooting like close to 50% over the last few years and is close to like 70% this year. And it's not just because he was hurt all the time. Like it was also because they had Taj Gibson and Joe Kim Noah as their bigs and there were big guys all around the basket. Like it, it wasn't like he was not getting to his spots before. He was getting there and meeting like eight bodies at the rim. Yep. Now, now he's getting there and there's at least one guy removed and he's getting easier looks and better looks. Like he's more now within three feet of the rim than he is, you know, from three to 10. And like, he's got a pretty good floater, but it is much easier to make layups than it is to make floaters. Yes. And and a lot of that is because of Chris Stapps. So how do you, where I, and, and this is my last question for you, but 
how do you feel about the the Derrick Rose extension conversation that's kind of gone on? Because when when the Knicks picked up Rose, my criticism was even if he's playing well, you don't want to be the team that pays Derrick Rose for you know the commits to Derrick Rose for the next few years because we've seen how that kind of goes. His body isn't, you know, isn't, isn't, hasn't worked out very well over the last few years. That's not, that's not an understatement by, or that's not an exaggeration by any stretch of the mind. Uh, Whereas, and and that's how I would have felt, you know, that's how I did feel heading into the season. And now you're watching this and, and how this roster kind of makes sense. It makes me a little bit more okay with, uh, with, with Derek Rose's potential, you know, long-term commitment to him. Uh, one could say I, I, I'm. I, how hasn't? How isn't this your at Jared Dubious? Like uh, that. What's that? Your 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 at. I I'd go with like J A oh, Dubious. It's <laughs> oh, not bad. Um, so I mean, as, as far as a potential Rose extension goes, I have the same opinion now as I did before the season, as I did when it was you know weirdly sort of leaked that they would consider an extension, but they haven't talked. Um. I am against it 100%, and I don't care how well he plays the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, I've gone through this on the podcast uh, a couple times already, and it's not necessarily been the most popular opinion, but I'll do it again anyway. The Knicks have a long, long, long history of doing the same exact thing where they pay guys in their late 20s big money despite knee problems, and every single time it comes back to bite them. Yeah. They you cannot keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. That is what we call insanity. Mm-hmm. Like it is the definition of insanity. That was my opinion before the season, that was my opinion a couple weeks ago when the conversation first came up, and it's still my opinion now. Um and I would dispute like Derrick Rose last night was unbelievable absolutely got wherever he wanted made basically every shot um and i think that 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 game was different than the last time he did that against okc where he was doing that and also was like one of the worst defensive performances that i've ever seen uh, against (laughs) russell westbrook um this, this game was slightly different like i think he was not an abomination on defense but he has been bad on defense throughout the season, like really bad. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it boggles my mind that nobody raises this when talking about how well he's playing. Like, I understand that, you know, it's, it's fun to watch offensively and he's certainly exceeded expectations on that end, whether you thought, um, you know, he was going to be really bad or whether you thought he was just going to be okay. Um, he's not necessarily lived up to the people. Oh my God, MVP D Rose is back. All he needs is a change of scenery. But that was unreasonable to begin with. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think you can have the conversation about him without talking about how bad his defense has been and how that plays into the fact that the Knicks are the fifth worst defense in the league right now. Like, you can't, you can't ignore that. I don't care how many 12 for 16 games he has. Um, and, and you can't ignore the injuries either. So that to me is, is where I stand. And I really don't see that changing because the injury history is not going to change and the age is not going to change. And the fact that this is an incredible point guard draft is not going to change and that you could, you know, go out and and make trades or, I mean, you look like Brandon Jennings gets into the paint pretty much whenever he wants to. Like he's not 
finishing nearly as well, obviously, as Rose is, but he's looking for Kristaps more and he's looking for other guys more. Like, you can replicate the skill set that Rose brings for much less money. Like, I don't think it's a stretch to say that, like, he hasn't outplayed Jennings by that much this year. Like, he's been better, but not by all that much. Certainly not enough to justify paying him an extra, like, $20 million a year, you know? And that's what it would be if you're talking about an extension versus Jennings' $5 million contract. So that that's sort of where I stand to it. It's not the most popular opinion. It's not unpopular either, but I, I don't really see it changing sort of no matter how well um, – no matter how well he plays this year. Um, for my, my last question for you, are you playing with house money with the Lakers this year and content to just let it ride out? Is it? Are you one of those that's like, we got to keep that draft pick or just like let the chips fall where they may and, you know, let Luke, let these guys loose. And if it comes down to the end of the season and, you know, they're falling back uh, in the standings, do you want to see them stop playing guys like Dang and Mozgov and just let young kids roll out there? Well, Dang has been abysmal, so whatever gets him off of my my TV screen is is better for everybody <laughs> involved. Um, but but I would say so. I it depends I, if the Lakers are going to lose and if they're if they're in that spot where they could hypothetically keep their pick like it's only a coin flip at best that they keep the pick no matter how the season goes you know even if they even if they somehow lose more games than everybody else it's a coin flip as to whether or not they keep their pick it's only top 3 protected uh so that's that that kind of paints the situation one way where i'm at that spot where i just say honestly these kids they would i think the franchise as much as as nice as it would be to get you know more young talent uh in what looks to be another pretty good draft uh, especially at the top you, you know it would be nice to have one of those guys on the roster moving forward but i also think that you know the D'Angelo Russells the Julius Randles even the the Jordan Clarkson who's now been in the league somehow for 3 years like those guys need to start to learn what it takes to win in the NBA and that was always my criticism with the the process out there in in Philadelphia was habits happen you know you you formulate habits and and if you formulate losing habits then and and as intangible as impossible it is as it is to prove that those habits are forming, I kind of think that's what was going on. When you see like Nerlens Noel saying that he wants to leave Philadelphia, and you look at Jalil Okafor who is getting in bar fights, you know, out there, they, those are losing habits that that happen from you know just losing game after game after game, you know, year after year after year. And for the Lakers, I think they're at the spot now where it'd be great to it'd be great to continue to lose enough to get the pick or keep the pick. But I I think the more important thing is that these kids learn what it takes to win. So I'm rooting. I you know when the games are going on, I'm rooting that they win these games, um, even while it goes against you know the practices of building an NBA franchise. That you know you don't want to just give away picks, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with the large majority of that. I think that, you know, when it gets down to it, like, they have to learn how to win, but they also have to give, be given the opportunity to learn how to win. Like, Larry Nance doesn't learn how to win by watching Luol Deng. Oh, yes, 100%. Like, you got to give those guys the opportunity to try to go win games. And if you lose in the process, you lose in the process. 
as, as long as they are being given the opportunity to try to do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I completely agree that uh, that whatever is going on, whether it's losing, whether it's winning, whatever, has to take place with the kids on the court. And honestly, Brandon Ingram has been better this year than, than Luol Deng. So as the year goes along, I wouldn't be shocked to find to, to see that Brandon Ingram takes a rotation spot away or, or the spot in the rotation that has been set aside for Luol Deng as the year goes along, and it's just because... Ingram is is a is a better player right now. If that changes, if if Luol Deng suddenly becomes energetic again, like that's that's perfectly fine. But uh, I think yeah, whatever whatever you know results have to occur with the the five man lineups of Russell Clarkson, uh, Ingram, Ru- uh, Randall, and Nance. You know that would be that would be the kind of lineup that I'd like to watch because one, it'd be fun, and two, that's what matters way more for the Lakers moving forward. Um, I can't believe, by the way, that we didn't talk about Ingram at all in like these forty-five minutes. So let's do like two minutes on him <laughs> at the end here. Like, not shooting well, obviously. Still, obviously, very skinny. Like, gets pushed around a little bit. But I feel like he's been able to at times get to his spots, and that's what you want to see. Like, because his thing is going to be that he can get to his spots and make shots when he gets there. And, and even if he's not necessarily making them a lot now, if he can get to those spots, that's a good sign. And I feel like I've seen some of that, not necessarily a ton of it. Um, you obviously want to see a little bit more, but I've been, I've not been discouraged yet by the fact that like, you know, he's shooting whatever it is like 34, 35%. But to me, as long as he can get his looks and isn't like not able to create anything, I'm okay with him being like a, a below average shooter this season. The thing with Ingram has been, especially offensively, has been because he's so skinny, like a single hand check knocks him completely off course. Uh, and that, you know, that forces him to take an extra dribble that allows the defense to rotate a little bit. You know, the, the timing on defense is a lot easier for him because he's, you know, taking longer to get to a place that, that he wants to. But I think that's going to happen. The big thing with Ingram this year has been how good he is on defense. Uh, he uses his length pretty well. If somebody bullies, you know, if, if like Car- Carmelo's a tough matchup for him because Carmelo is so good at bully ball. Um, yeah. So that, you know, that was a tough matchup for, for Ingram. But for just about everybody else, every other style of play, Ingram has been able to switch to guys, you know, positions one through four and play pretty well in those spots against, you know, some, you know, he played really well against Jimmy Butler early in the year. Uh, when the Lakers beat the Warriors earlier in the year, he was switching out and guarding uh, Steph, you know, fairly, fairly well, staying with him uh, pretty well. And that's the big thing is it's pretty rare that a rookie is even decent on defense and he's been actually good. So that's kind of where I, I, you know, as, as annoying as, as frustrating as the offense has been and the shooting has been, the defense makes me think, yeah, he, there's a spot in the NBA for somebody as good a defense as he is right now at 19 years old. Do you think that like, you know, that's good, obviously. And you want to see that. And I think that that's been better than people likely expected Mm -hmm. as a rookie. But they also drafted him, I think, as a guy who's going to be like an offensive pillar. Do you feel like if he is not a foundational offensive player and becomes more of like a supplementary guy on that end who also plays good defense, that people will be dissatisfied with that? 
or because you know they have other guys who can handle that sort of role that it'll be okay if he's someone who just sort of like fits within the framework well that's it's funny I, I'm terrible at hot takes so it's a little bit of both of those things I think Laker fans will be kind of disappointed because you think you know number two overall pick you'd like a couple all-stars out of out of a player like that you'd like him to be a foundational piece but the Lakers roster right now is constructed to where there are enough guys who can who can be foundational offensive pieces. So I think he's capable of that. The fact that Luke has empowered him with being a point guard in some lineups is insane to me for a seven footer to be able to handle that every so often. So that's been cool to see. But uh, when you have guys like, you know, we talked about Julius Randle and we talked about D'Angelo Russell. And, and it's funny, like Brandon Ingram somehow being an afterthought in an hour-long podcast is fine because the, the, the roster around him has, has been put together pretty well. Uh, and, and he can just kind of focus on, all right, this right, I'm, I'm by far the best at being a defensive player. I'll focus on that right now. And as my career goes along, I'll continue to add to it. But as of right now, this is what I do that helps the, the, the team win uh, best. So just focus on that and see where, see where, uh, see where the journey kind of takes them. Yeah, and look, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, you have all of those young kids growing together. It's pretty rare. And, like, well, that's, I think, a difference between these two teams. You know, the, the Lakers have, you know, four or five guys that they could project their hopes onto. Whereas the Knicks, it's like, all right, we're going to ride out this mellow era and we got KP, you know, like <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's interesting. The, con- the contrast between um, not just where the teams are at and how they're playing and what, you know, what they're good and bad at, but also that the Knicks do seem to have their definitive foundational guy that they're going to build around for the future the Lakers have more of those guys, but not necessarily anybody as good as that one guy. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting to think like who's in a better situation for the, let's you know say the, the beyond the next two or three years when Carmelo is still, you know, on, definitely on the Knicks and and around and going to be you know the guy for however long he's here. Um, you know, is it better to have the one guy that looks like a potential top? 15 player or is it better to have four guys that could be potential top 50 or 60 players with one as good as like a top 30 or so you know like it's it's an interesting debate yeah i i I think i think the knicks are built for what we thought of the nba you know even even as recently as you know five six years ago where you thought okay you need your absolute star and then you just kind of build around that star and I think the Lakers right now are in the spot where in the new NBA, we know that it takes a lot more than just one guy to really lift a franchise. So the Lakers aren't putting that responsibility on any one guy. And I mean, I'm biased. I'll, I'll completely cop to being biased here. But I feel like the Lakers are, are built for where the NBA is going. And it's up to the Knicks to find guys to supplement Chris Apps because like you said earlier, he wouldn't have the success that he's had so far without Carmelo Anthony also being on the court with him, right? So it'll be interesting if the Knicks can somehow find another young guy who can also help, you know, carry the burden that is, you know, being the guy in New York. And it's tough. Like, we haven't really spoken about markets. 
New York, Los Angeles, those are tough markets to try to lift on your own. And I, I like that the Lakers recognized that and said, all right, we'll just get a handful of guys that can all kind of carry the team together. I, I hope that the Knicks are somehow able to do that with, with Porzingis in New York. Because honestly, and <laughs> I'm going to sound like a big market a-hole here again, but the NBA is better. It's more entertaining when the Lakers and the Knicks are good. You yeah, know. and look, that hasn't happened at the same time in a very long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and look, that's and it looks like why, it, it like, looks like it's it might... really important Go ahead. for it's really important for the Knicks to nail their draft pick mm-hmm. this year. Like they they have their draft pick, and they actually have all of their first round picks going forward for the first time. And I mean, I can't even remember how long right now. Um, they have to nail this, like especially if they plan on being good and better than this year over the next couple of years until Carmelo's contract uh, runs out. Like you got to get not just average rotation guys that are seventh, eighth men. Like you got to find another guy who's going to stand there with Chris Stapps. Mm -hmm. Um, That's difficult if you're in the middle to tail end of the draft, but not impossible. Um, And especially like, like if they fall back into the pack and they wind up in the lottery, like, Obviously, that would be disappointing in terms of what happens throughout the rest of this season after how well they've started, but it would give them a better chance of stacking a guy next to Chris Stapps and saying, these are the guys who our future is going to be built around. So I think it's, you know, either they make the playoffs and that's good and fun, or they have a good shot of getting a guy that can really grow with him. And I think either way is pretty good. Yeah, I it's kind of interesting. What might be best for the, the Knicks is to actually trade Derrick Rose this year. Uh, and, and see if you can get another draft pick in, in what looks to be a really solid draft. Uh, I don't think they'll do that because he has been as good as he is. But, you know, like you said earlier, I wouldn't want to give him – I wouldn't have to commit to him for multiple years either. So he'll be – he's somebody I've kind of watched. I don't think the Lakers would ever make a run at him. But he's somebody who I'd, I'm kind of watching from the outside being an NBA fan of, hey, what's going on? What might happen here with this Derrick Rose situation? Because – if you can get another first round pick in this draft and you have now two, you know, you could potentially put together some kind of triumvirate around Chris Stops with young talent. Like that's best case scenario. If I'm, if I'm the Knicks, I'm probably going to, people are probably going to hate me in New York for, for, for bringing that up. You don't have to convince me on this, <laughs> but it's not going to happen anyway, because that's just not what the Knicks do. No. And I would agree that people are going to hear that and be like, what is wrong with this dude? He's a <laughs> um, and I think that is Man, how did how did you how did you find out what my wife was going to say already? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably as good a place as any to wrap this up. Now that we have somehow rattled on for like twice as long <laughs> as we planned to. Um, Thanks so much for doing this with me, man. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. Let's catch up more often so that, yeah, we don't go for an hour every time we talk. <laughs> for sure. Let's, uh, let's do this again. All right. All right, so that was Jared. You Duke. cut me off again? What, what, ha- what happened now? What You weren't... Harrison, you need to talk to these guests when we're when we're actually having these conversations. Anthony, I was not there. This is really messed up that you keep doing this to me. I don't know what you're talking about. 
I, I really feel like it says more, you know, says something about your quality of, of interview that I'm not even recognizing when you're not there. You know, man, this is just hurtful. I, I don't need this. I, I, I had to watch the Lakers game tonight. This is this is messed up. All right. I promise. Next guest that we have, you are going to be involved. And we have a, we have a couple good ones this week. I'll believe it when it happens. It probably isn't going to happen. All right, everybody. (laughs) I hope everybody enjoyed the conversation I had with Jared. Uh, Harrison, as he alluded to, was not there. But Jared was great. A lot of uh, of good information there. Uh, Good insight on what it's like to to be, you know, to root for a a Phil Jackson team. So uh, we will talk to everybody tomorrow. And... Enjoy the rest of your I day. should have a Harrison's hot takes for you guys. I, I had one for tonight, but we were going a little long, so we're going to throw that tomorrow. Yep, it's gonna. I, I would imagine it's going to be pretty hot, seeing as Harrison is frustrated, just like Luke Walton was frustrated, and he got thrown out of a game. So that'll be good. You can't see it right now, but I'm so angry that I'm taking my shirt off. <laughs> oh God, put your shirt back on. All right, we will talk. All right, to- man, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you're following the show on Audio Boom, iTunes, Silver Screen and Roll, TuneIn, Stitcher, and today's Fast Break. Today's show is brought to you by BetDSI.com. Again, use the promo code LAKERS10 to get your $10, 10 free dollars to use on BetDSI.com. Head over there, start winning right now. Uh, the Lakers have a couple winnable games. Maybe put a friendly wager on that. And, and you know... Let's get everybody going back in the in the winning direction, on the winning side of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will talk to everybody tomorrow. Uh, Harrison, I promise you will be involved. We have, we'll have at least the, the one podcast with the Locked On Cavs guys, so maybe you'll be on that one. Okay, thanks, Anthony. I really appreciate you letting me. Anytime. All right, shouts to Doug. Nope, I can't shoot Doug. I'm not going to shout Doug Christie. That's not going to happen. I'm not even going to do a shout-out today because the Lakers don't really deserve shout-outs with the way they've been playing. We'll talk to everybody soon.